when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com and now your host evan Grote. let's go raider nation welcome to your monday night recap episode of just pod baby i am your host evan Grote. just pod baby is brought to you by silver and black today your home for everything raiders straight from the capital of the nation las vegas there's so many great ways to get all the content we're bringing at you from Silver and Black today. Tune in daily, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific time to hear Scott and Q hold things down on the radio end. You've got me here on the podcast and all the talent on the editorial side of things, including our senior columnist, Mo Moten. Busy show planned for you, as always. Later in the show, we're going to be joined by a very special guest, Vic Taver of The Athletic. Now, speaking of Mo Moten, I'd like to welcome him in now as he does every Monday night. He joins me as my co-host, and I want to thank him because not only does he bring great analysis to the show, but he has a great perspective as well, and I know that all the listeners out there love that about him. So let's bring in the other half of the East Coast Division of Silver and Black today. Mo, how are you, my friend? Tough tough loss for the Raiders yesterday, but not the end of the world at 2-2. Two and two. I, I'm inclined to ask you, how's the rivalry at home? I know the family was kind of split there, but I, I will say this. I, a lot of people on Twitter are saying the sky is falling. The Raiders are going to go 5-11. and 11. They're not going to win another game until who knows when. I will say, again, I, I felt like they would struggle early and finish strong late. So we'll see, but we'll talk about it. We'll talk about last uh, yesterday's game and break it down. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me about how things are going at home. You know, pretty good. I didn't talk a lot of crap this week because I just, I didn't anticipate a win. But it's a funny story. Um, a lot of the people I work with at, at the school I work with, or work at, I should say, uh, they were giving, they were offering me condolences this morning. So uh, that that was nice of them to, you know, apologize for the Bills win. But, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't too hard on me today at work. So that, that was good. But uh yeah, yeah. You know, I, I agree with you. We are going to get into some of the schedule uh, a little bit later on, but I think, uh, you know, at two and two right now, you got to be pretty satisfied. The schedule does get a little bit easier uh, in the next, uh, in a few weeks, not in the next couple, but in a few. And we're, we're going to get to that. But Mo, uh, enough of the small talk. Let, let's give the listeners what they tuned in for. It's time for the week four recap. On the Bills' opening drive of the game, Josh Allen wasted no time getting his number one receiver, Stephon Diggs, involved, catching a two, uh, two passes on the drive for 36 yards. Twice the Raiders' defense had a chance to get off the field but could not do so. On third and 11, Max Crosby was flagged for a neutral zone infraction penalty, making it third and six for Buffalo. Allen found Diggs for a 21-yard gain. Four plays later, LaMarcus Joyner would briefly leave the game with an injury, and Amik Robertson stepped in for Joyner. And on a third and one play from the Raiders' 26-yard line, immediately Allen took advantage of the rookie, making his first appearance in the NFL, and found Gabriel Davis for the game's first touchdown. It was Robertson's. Uh, it was Robertson who was in coverage. Mo, tough way to get your feet wet for the rookie. Talk to us about the play. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I chuckled a little bit because a lot of people were excited about Robertson coming in. And as soon as he comes in, Josh Allen goes right after him. Uh, we're going to talk about a common theme through this podcast, eye violations. This is the basically the first one. Amik Robertson had, got caught with his eyes in the backfield. Josh Allen faked the play action to Devin Singletary. 
uh, Amik Robson steps up thinking it's going to be a short run and he loses track of Gabriel Davis and it's an easy touchdown on 31. So it's a rookie mistake. It, it happens. It's his first his first real coverage snap. So I'm not worried about Robson too much, but he got caught looking in that play. Trailing 7 to nothing, the Raiders offense took the field for the first time and had what looked like a promising drive going, picking up three first downs led by Zay Jones, who had three catches for 25 yards on the drive. But on a third and one from the Buffalo 35, Elk Ingold was stuffed on the play, losing a yard, and the Raiders would have to settle for a, a 54-yard Daniel Carlson field goal. Uh, Gruden opted to play it safe, take the points. Mo, I didn't have a problem with the play call by Gruden here to, to give it to Ingold on the short yarder situation. Execution was the issue on the play, correct? Definitely was a lack of coordination on the design. Alec Ingold bumped right into the back of Colton Miller, impeding his progress, and the Bills were able to come through on penetration and stop him on that third down. Now on the following Buffalo possession, a big play on the drive was the roughing the passer call on Jonathan Hakins, which I thought was a very questionable call. Uh, 15 yards was tacked on after the gain of seven, uh, moving them from the Buffalo 22-yard line to the Buffalo 44. Then it was a 10-yard gain by Diggs, 18 yards for Isaiah McKenzie, 6 yards for Andre Roberts, Devin Singletary, took a, a carry through the left side of the defense for another gain of 11 all the way down to the Raiders 14 yard line and on third and 11 Josh Allen hooked up with Cole Beasley to make the score 14 to 3 early in the second quarter big time miscommunication on this play Mo what happened yeah definitely Diggs is on the inside he goes out he, he runs an out route and Nicholas Morrow who's actually covering him follows him and LaMarcus Jonah also does the same Gruden talked about this in the presser today uh, guys are supposed to be in man coverage and for some reason Joyner doesn't follow suit and Cole Beasley gets an open touchdown right there. I'm not wide open because he gets flipped at the end of that but the reason reason he's wide open is because two guys follow Diggs to the corner. Now looking to answer back Derek Carr and the offense did just that when Carr hooked up with Nelson Aguilar deep over the middle for a a, uh, a touchdown of 49 yards, but the play was nullified by an illegal formation penalty. Here's what head coach John Gruden had to say about the play. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to stand back there and survey the defense, but uh, I give our guys credit. We scored 23 points today. We had four points called back on a alignment error that uh, we've been in that formation a thousand times. Um, you know, we played pretty good at times on offense. Uh, with our fourth different right tackle, our third different left guard, and a number of new receivers. So we'll take a look at the film, uh, but we tried to stay aggressive. Uh, we made some plays down the field. One of them was called back, obviously, to hurt us. Despite the touchdown coming off the board, the offense was able to regroup and march down the field to the, all the way to the Buffalo 19, but things would stall out and, again, would have to settle for our Daniel Carlson 39-yard field goal. Buffalo fans collectively held their breaths on the next possession when on third and 10 Keyshawn Nix took Josh Allen down hard landing on his left shoulder Allen did leave the game and appeared to be in a lot of pain Tyler Bass would come on uh, to attempt a field goal and he did make that field goal 34 yards to extend the Buffalo lead to 17-6 with the 4-13 remaining in the half the Raiders really needed to get seven on the board and this is an area that they've been very good in the previous three games of the season in that two to four minute hurry up mode just before the end of a quarter or half the drive got off to a good start with a very well designed play on a screen pass to Darren Waller for a gain of 22 yards followed by gains of 11 to Aguilar 15 to Winton 11 more to Waller and the Raiders were in business from the Bills three yard line on second and goal Derek Carr hooked up 
with Jason Witten for the second time on the drive. This time for a touchdown, it was Derek Carr's 150th career touchdown pass, tying him with Ken Stabler for the franchise lead. But Mo, you called it when you were on Raider Nation Radio last week with Scott. You talked about Witten and how you felt he would soon make an impact. You were on the money with that one. Yeah, absolutely, because teams are going to game plan to take Waller away. You have to know that. So I, I would feel like the Raiders had to get their other tight ends involved, Austin Moreau and Jason Witten. I mean, this is what you bring in Witten for, right? Red, red zone touchdowns and catches. And he did that in that short drive. Derek Carr rolls to the right. Didn't see Witten right away because he was wide open, waving his hands. Uh, good thing Derek Carr did see him and came back and hit him for the touchdown. With the score 17-13, the Raiders were right back in the game and would be receiving the ball to start the second half. The offense marched right down the field all the way to the Bills' 7-yard line, and Gruden was faced again with a crucial 4th and 2. I would have liked to see him go for it. He played it safe. He kicked the field goal to cut the lead to 17-16. Mo, what were your thoughts at that time on the decision to once again take the points like he did last week instead of going for it? Yeah, we were on the same page here. I was yelling, go for it, go for it. At the time, down 17-13. Even if you don't make it, the Bills get it deep in their own territory. I know the defense didn't do much at that point, but they would, again, they would have to drive the entire field to get in field goal range or get a touchdown, I should say. So I feel like the Raiders should have went for it. Big Taper, who we'll talk to later on, feel like they should have taken the point, so he disagrees with us on that. Maybe we'll ask him about it. But I think this is a time Green could have been a little more aggressive and tried to score a touchdown with the, Ra- with the Raiders' offense, moving the ball pretty well. The defense would force a Bills punt on the f- for the first time, but the offense wasn't able to take advantage of the stop by the defense and would punt it back to Buffalo with 2.37 remaining in the third quarter. The score still 17-16 at this point. Josh Allen needed only six plays to engineer their third touchdown drive of the game. John Brown caught what looked like a 14-yard touchdown, but upon review, the ruling on the field was overturned. Allen would sneak it in on the next play for the touchdown. Tyler Bass did miss the extra point, though, to keep it at a seven-point game, 23-16. Mo, even with all the uh, with the way the defense had been playing up until that point, to be trailing by seven heading into the fourth quarter, the Raiders were still in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And I said this on Twitter earlier. This was a winnable game. I mean, you go into the fourth quarter, it's still within one possession. But if you look at the summary of the Raiders scoring drives, three field goals and two touchdowns, you're not going to beat playoff caliber teams with that type of uh, scoring output. You got to score more touchdowns and field goals. Anyone who was feeling good about the Raiders' chances at that point quickly faded when the worst possible thing that could have happened did. On the Buffalo 36-yard line, after a short gain of four yards, Darren Darren Waller uh, was fighting for more yardage and had the ball punched out by Josh Norman. Norman would recover the ball on the play. It was really a gut punch because after the the great kick return to set him up uh, by Jalen Richard, the offense was able to move the ball into Bill's territory only to have it taken away. Mo, talk to us about what you saw on, on the fumble. Yeah, to me, this was the turning tide of the game. Uh, the Raiders are driving. They're in Bill's territory. You go here, you can again, you can tighten up the game. Didn't happen. Waller tries to fight for more yards, which I commend him for, but uh, Josh Nutman with a with peanut punch. Uh, that's owed to Charles Timmel, former Bears cornerback, who had 10 forced fumbles in one season, his all-pro season, but knocks the ball out. Uh, that's a mistake on Waller. A lot of people don't want to talk about that because he's a fan favorite, but it, it is a huge mistake. Uh, the Raiders turned the ball over. Yeah, I agree with you. It definitely was the turning point playing the game. On the ensuing Bills possession for the uh, on the first play, Allen took a deep shot and found his guy Stefan Diggs over the middle for a gain of 49 yards. Eric Harris, who has been criticized for his play so far this season, was the man in coverage, Mo. He looks silly. Talk to us about it. 
Yeah, definitely. He's not a full-time starter. He's Again, he's had one of these big whiffs or a, a big missed tackle or just a play that you don't want to see on film every week now. Uh, Stefan Diggs put him in a put him in a blender, basically. He, if you see the route he runs, he fakes outside, goes back inside. Eric Harris gets spun around. He doesn't have the recovery speed to get back in front of Diggs. Even though he got to the ball, Diggs was able to leap up and get the graph of 49 yards downfield. The chunk play would set up a Devin Singletary two-yard touchdown run off the left side uh, three plays later, and the Bills now led 30-16 to with 11-17 to play in the game. The Raiders were down but not out. There was still plenty of time in the game for a comeback, except for when you go four and out on your next possession. Josh Jacobs was held in check all game and was stuffed on fourth and one, and the Bills would take over on downs. Max Crosby sacked Josh Allen on third and 18 for a loss of 14 yards. Allen just held on to the ball way too long. Uh, it was a pretty foolish play by him. The Bills would punt the ball away with 7.29 left to play, and the Raiders still had a pulse, believe it or not. Taking over on their own 20-yard line, Derek Carr would find Hunter Renfro down the right side uh, for a big gain of 37. It was one heck of a throw and catch. We've seen the two connect a couple times on great throws and catches like this, uh, but it was all for not. Two plays later, Derek Carr would have pressure on him, and for the fourth time this season, he would uh, fumble the ball when hit. And I know, I know people want to put this one all on Carr. I do agree. I'd like to see him take care of the ball better uh, when there's bodies around him. But, Mo, go ahead and explain to us what went wrong on that play. Yeah, definitely people want to put this on Carr because he is the quarterback. But if you look closely, Gabe Jackson got pushed back by Quentin Jefferson, and he was able to push Jefferson Jackson back into the backfield and slap the ball away from Carr. Gabe had a rough day. He, he allowed four pressures, according to P- PFF. Do two big times that he he allowed penetration there was one on the fourth and one with josh jacobs try to try to convert that was gabe jackson who, who let that penetration go through and then of course as we just spoke about the car fumble well he, he let that go to with quentin jefferson so a lot of spotlight belongs to gabe jackson for those two gas but of course people are going to put that on car time was running out on the raiders they would get a stop and got the ball back they did add a late garbage time touchdown car to aguilar to make the score 30 to 23 they would attempt an onside kick. It was recovered by the Bills, and that really was the end of the game there. Again, another disappointing loss for the Raiders. It feels like a missed opportunity this week. There were a number. There's a number of things you could you could point your finger at: the defensive struggles to get stops, the penalties to negate the touchdown to Aguilar, uh, the offense. Final five possessions of the game were a punt, a fumble, a turnover on downs, a fumble, and then of course that late score with the game out of reach. The second half failures were a big storyline from a year ago. In the last two games, all those struggles in the second half have kind of resurfaced. Yeah, definitely is is looking like 2019 for that offense again. But it's a little different because now they're they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot, so to speak, with the penalties and the fumbles, the turnovers. And again, I'm going to go back to this. Gruden talked about assignment errors. Uh, Amik Robertson and Trayvon Mullen on the same play action play, uh, been on the bit on the uh, fake run to Devin Singletary. Marcus Joyner gave up a touchdown to Cole Beasley because he didn't play in man coverage. The Raiders, with their penalties, getting sloppy with that. In weeks one and two, six penalties. In week three, weeks three and four, 13s. And 
in their last game, they had a season-high seven penalties. So they're not playing buttoned-up football at this point, and, and you see the difference. So there's a lot going on there. Of course, the people can also go point to safe, the safety position with Eric Harris not playing well. I think at this point, unless they're going to bring someone in, <coughs> Earl Thomas, uh, they're going to have to roll with Eric Harris and and see what they get out of him and hope he, hope he improves and learns from his bad film. But there's a lot going on there, including the injuries. But as we all know, injuries are no excuse. Next man up, you got to perform. Yeah, I think you touched on a really important thing there when you talked about the self-inflicted wounds. Um, Derek Carr talked about it in his press conference after the game. Their biggest enemy right now is themselves with the penalties and the turnovers, missed assignments. Uh, I don't really necessarily think it's, I mean, obviously it's the opposing team has a lot to do with it, but but these mistakes are things that the Raiders just need to clean up, and they're they're very close. I mean, if you're looking for a silver lining, it would be that despite all these injuries and self-inflicted wounds, the team has been very competitive, I think, in the, in the two losses. Maybe not for a full uh, four quarters, but they've definitely competed for three quarters uh, if you're looking for something positive to take. But by this point, I think the bigger issue that we need to discuss it lies with that defense. So I want to get into that for a minute. And this is the thing for Mimo. In the offseason, they went out and spent a lot of money on the defense, two new defensive linemen, two new linebackers. We know about the upgrades that they, they made, but when you're, you also think about they brought in a cornerback uh, in round one who I know is injured right now. He's on IR. You get back a healthy John Abram. And on top of all that, you fire Brenton Bucker to, Buckner to bring in a guy who is touted as a defensive line guru. Many of us were hoping to see some slight improvements on this defense, but is there anywhere, when you look around this defense, is there anywhere on that unit you could look and say, okay, you know, I think they've made an improvement in that aspect. Maybe you can find an individual player or two, but fight me off on that, Mo. Can you tell me where you see improvement through the first four games on defense? I I can't really fight you off on that, as you just <laughs> and mentioned. And that's fine I, if you can't, yeah. I, I definitely can't. I can't say one unit has massively improved because they're giving up yards over the top. I know Damon Arnett is hurt now. Tray, Trayvon Muller has been pretty good. John Abram, when he's not on the ground, you know, out of the game briefly, he's been pretty good overall. But I can't really say the secondary has vastly improved because you still have holes and with Eric Harris there. And then now Damon, Ar- Damon Arnett is hurt, as we just said. LaMarcus Joyner has been okay in the slot. Uh, he had a big mistake last game, so people are probably going to say, well, he, he sucks. But I wouldn't say all of that. He, he, he improved, but he still needs work. But I can't point to a unit and say that unit has really stepped it up. Now, if you want to talk about individuals, as I mentioned, Trayvon Mullen, yes. Nick Wachowski, when he in his two games, he's been he's been pretty good. You want to talk about Mo Hurst, pretty good. But the Raiders just don't have a unit that that's made massive improvement over the last season. Yeah, I think those are the three names you mentioned: Wachowski, Mullen, and Hurst. Those are the three guys that you look at individually and say, okay, you know what they've they've helped this defense. But um, you know, I want to talk about some stats real quick about this defense. I think they've actually gotten worse from last year. Um, they're giving up thirty points a game right now. Uh, the run defense was kind of a strong part of that defense last year. I, I took a look. They gave up 98 yards a game last year. They're giving up 136 right now. And I know they're only four games in, so this is going to change. But uh, let's see if that number comes down a little bit more now with, with Kwiatkowski back out there. They only have two takeaways on the season. They're ranked 29th in total pressures with 20. On third downs, they're not very good. They allow teams to convert 50% of the time, 24 out of 48. That ranks them 28th in the league. They've only got four sacks. And, and I'm pretty sure uh, 
I, I read this somewhere, going into the Week 4 matchup uh, with the, the Bills, they led the league with 19 missed tackles. So this leads me into my next question for you, Mo. Where um, or who does the blame fall on for this? Is it the youth that's on the defense, the injuries that have happened, or is Paul Gunther responsible, or is it a combo of factors? And, and you know, if it is indeed a coaching issue, how much longer does Gunther survive? Loaded question right there. You you want me to get tore up by Twitter, don't you? you that that's that's just teeing me up. But <laughs> long, I, as long as it's not me, <laughs> I'll 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 give the diplomatic answer and I'll say it's a combination. I know that's what people don't want to hear. They want to hear me say fire Gunther, right? But it's a combination of both. And again, Gruden talked about this during his presser, and we talked about this as we broke down the game. Lamarcus Joyner had a had a. Uh, misstep with his coverage. Uh, Trayvon Mullen and Amik Robinson had missteps on that play action with, with Josh Allen. So if you add those two up, that's two touchdowns that they gave up easily because guys weren't doing their job, right? So part of that goes to on the players. But I will say this. Paul Gunther, I, I feel like the Raiders need a better coaching staff of their defense. Under Paul Gunther, and Josh DeBow tweeted this earlier today or I believe late yesterday, under Paul Gunther, the Raiders are 31st in points per game allowed, 31st in yards per play allowed. 31st in passer ring against, last in sacks, last in takeaways. So at some point, you got to say, well, he's Paul Gunther's had all of these players and he hasn't been able to do anything with them. Now, I know they gave up Khalil Mack in the trade to the Bears, so they tore down the defense in 2018. But the defense hasn't made massive improvements, even with the investments we talked about, even with bringing in Malik Collins, even in Nassib, uh, Key is supposed to be getting better. Even Max Crosby showing up, he has three sacks, three of the four Raiders sacks, but he can't do it alone. And this defense needs to improve. And if guys aren't doing their job, part of that is, is it part of it coaching? Is there miscommunications because there's so many new faces on the defense? Those are things you have to weigh in. I won't cop out and say it's injuries because, again, you have to coach these players up and know that guys are going to go down at some point and the next man has to step up. And to me, that falls on the coaching staff to have those guys ready. Now, again, with with young players and new faces coming in, you got to give some time to gel. But Gunther has had a history now over the course of, two seasons and a quarter of another one this year that he can't get the job done with the guys he has on his unit. He's supposedly supposedly had all these new toys to play with on the defense and it just hasn't shown. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I do think it's a combo as much as people may not want to hear that they want to place it all on Gunther. I, I think it's a combo. I think the injuries have hurt. Um, and I think the youth, you know, in in the def- on the defense is is something. So I do believe it's a combo. And I'm, you know, I've always been a, a strong supporter of Gunther, but I'm not quite sure how much longer I can, I can continue to support him. I really don't. I, you know, I don't like blaming the coach, but you know, something's got to be done here. Now, the next thing I want to talk about here is, of course, if Gunther does get fired during the season, which very well could happen. I'm not sure when, but. It's safe to assume that Rod Marinelli will take over the helm as the defensive coordinator, but I think he has some words too because look how poorly the defensive line has has performed, you know? But I've seen people out there on Twitter uh, calling for Rex Ryan, Wade Phillips. Keep in mind, those guys, even if that was an option, they aren't going to be brought in midseason. That would be a hire that would take place after the season. Absolutely. A lot of people are calling for Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips runs a base 3-4. Maybe the Raiders have guys who can stand up and rush like Arden Key and Nassib, but you're not going to bring in a guy who runs a base 3-4 in the middle of the season. It is going to be Rod Marinelli if Paul Gunther is fired. And listening to Gruden today talk about 
mistakes in coverage and eye violations and saying these mistakes are correctable leads me to believe that I have to get really, really ugly for the Raiders to fire Paul Gunther. And I've said this on Twitter for the past 48 hours. If the Raiders go to Arrowhead and they get blown out 50 to 13, 50 to 20, if the Chiefs score 50 plus points, Gruden would have to reevaluate what's going on with his defense because it's an ugly loss and people are going to be talking about it. How are the Raiders giving up 50 points? We know the Chiefs have an explosive offense, but 50 points, 55 points, if that happens, there's going to have to be a discussion behind closed doors. If it doesn't happen, I'm prepared to see Gunther coach drop the rest of the season. Yeah, well, if there's any team out there that can drop 50, it's, it's the Chiefs. So it could be, you know, developing into a, a perfect storm here or a, a not so perfect for, for Paul Gunther. But uh, anyhow, let, let's get into our, our next topic. And that is, I want to congratulate Derek Carr on becoming the franchise leader in touchdown passes for the Raiders, 151 in his career, passing the snake, Ken Stabler. Unfortunately, though, it came in a losing effort for the Raiders. And that's, you know, I was thinking about this has kind of been the story of Carr's career right I mean I'm sure some of you may disagree and that's fine but he's accomplished some great things with the organization there's no denying that and I I would say he's definitely stabilized the position of quarterback after years and years of a a rotating carousel at, at quarterback and as much as we would like to celebrate the personal achievement the team didn't win the game and, and, and fair or unfair as that stat may be for a quarterback we've talked about it the fact of the matter is they did not win the game. Now, if you go on social media, you will see many fans pointing the finger at Carr for the loss. on, And and, I, and that's unfair to me. I don't think he deserves that, at least not this week. I don't know how you feel about it, Mo, but I just see how Carr is... Um, I don't see how Carr is responsible for that 49-yard touchdown being called back or Waller fumbling the ball you know, while they're driving or even the pressure that was being placed on him when he was he, he fumbled the ball there late in the game. And, and, you know, you guys out there listening should all know me by now. I will call DC out when I think he made a bonehead play, and I, but I'm also going to give him credit when I think the team plays well and, and, he, and he does well and the team wins. Um, and sure, I'd like to see him take a few more shots down the field, you know, yesterday and um, maybe not be so quick to get the ball out of his hands, read the field a bit more. But again, I, I don't think um, a lot of the criticism he's receiving for this loss, at least, is justified. Yeah, a lot of people are picking out that one play where he tried to pitch. By the way, he tried to pitch that ball to Darren Waller and that second play was called incomplete, but it should have been a fumble. He was trying to get that ball out. People were saying, what is he doing trying to pitch the ball out? It, Darren Waller, if you if you look at the whole play, Darren Waller is standing maybe three three yards away from me. He tries to pitch the ball to avoid the sack. So that's what people are circulating on social media now with that video. But if I were to grade Derek Carr's game in week four, because I know that's become a weekly thing on this podcast, I would give him a B. And he talked about saying, yeah, I, I broke Kenny Stabler's record, but I'd rather had would have done it in a victory. And he was kind of bummed about that, but he's excited for his accomplishments, of course. But of course he wants to win. And I think a lot of people say, well, Derek Carr has all these numbers and all these great stats. And this year he has eight touchdowns and zero interceptions and looks good. He's on pace for 4,300 4, plus passing yards. It all looks great, but it doesn't look as good when your team is two and two and you've dropped two consecutive games. So he understands that the win is more important. I think fans need to understand that, the reason other fans are upset is because they, they want to win games. They don't care about Derek Carr's record. Yeah, it's cool for Derek Carr. But if you're a fan rooting for your team to make the playoffs and compete, you want W's. And the Raiders lost too. So, of course, fans are going to have mixed feelings about that. Derek Carr's supporters are going to say, well, yeah, he's doing his job. What about everyone else? 
And other people are going to say, well, he's not doing enough. And the truth of the matter is the Raiders defense is so bad that Derek Carr has to play an A-plus game every week. And Derek Carr is just not that guy. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not, he's not Patrick Mahomes. And those guys don't even play A-plus games every week. But I wouldn't put him on that level. So you're, you're expecting Derek Carr. Or you need Derek Carr to go above and beyond himself in order to give this team a chance to win. And this is why you run into plays where he holds on to the ball too long, where he's trying to pitch a play, pitch a ball to Darren Waller on an on incomplete pass that should have been a fumble. He's trying to do too much because he understands that he has to because he has a defense that's ranked in the bottom of the league in a lot of statistics. Yeah, absolutely. And if you listen to his press conference after the game yesterday, you could definitely hear some of those frustrations. He He was pretty open and honest about you know, he's getting tired of losing. And so, you know, he definitely has that fire. You can't fault the guy for lack of effort. That's that's for one thing. Now, I do have a couple other quick observations um, from yesterday's game with Carr that I want to get to real quick before we get to our first break. Uh, one is a positive, one's a negative. I'm going to start with the positive. I thought it was a, it was very good to see him. He was using his legs a little bit more. I don't know if you, you noticed that, Mo. I, I can think of at least three plays where he got out of the pocket, kept the play alive, or scrambled to pick up a first down, just just fighting to, to, to try to make something out of nothing. I thought that was a promising sign. And the negative, is, again, the ball security. We talked about the fumble during the recap. That's four now this season, four lost fumbles, 27 lost fumbles since he entered the league in 2014, and that does lead the league. That's not a stat you want to lead the league in. It's an area he needs to improve. You know, I don't know how you go about doing that. I'm not a football coach. I know that there's drills that they can work on with these players, Um, and in some cases, you know, I have to give them... I have to defend him a bit, but in some cases, if the defensive player, defensive end is coming off the edge and just totally chops the ball, you know, out of your hand, that's one thing. But there are too many times like yesterday where it was more of a lighter tap and the ball still is coming out of his hand. So again, I don't know what it is that he needs to, to do to improve, but I just know that there needs to be improvement there. Um, so again, those are just a couple additional observations from yesterday. But Mo, we got to get to our first break, and when we return, we will uh, come back. We'll give you our first quarter report of the season, big disappointments and surprises through the first four games, and we will look ahead uh, to the next quarter of the season. And also, you will hear our interview with Vic Tafer of The Athletic. Be right back. Hey everyone, it's Evan Grote, host of Just Pod Baby. I think we can all agree 2020 has been a real kick to the balls. That's why I recommend you start pampering your pouch with Manscaped. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features though is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours. Trust me, your balls will thank you.
And we are back here on Just Pod Baby with your hosts, Evan Grote and Mo Moten. As we do every Monday night, we are breaking down the game from Sunday. The Raiders did follow the Bills this week, 30-23 to in Week 4, evening their record to 2-2 two and two with four games now in the book. We're going to take a look at the first quarter. We'll give you our report. Mo and I will we'll talk about some of our biggest disappointments so far in the season, as well as some of the guys or positions that we think are surprising us by playing well. So let's let's start with the disappointments, Mo. You can go first. Where are you going with this one? I, I got to go with Malik Collins. Uh, we talked about him a little bit at the beginning of the show. I know he had a shoulder injury last game, so he didn't finish. But he has three tackles in four games. And that, that shows how much impact he's had, which is barely any. Uh, I know he had a meeting with John Gruden to talk about what he's doing on the defensive line. Maybe he's doing too much. Uh, they talked about doing his job, but apparently he's not the key to the defense because if he was, the Raiders definitely need a new key. Just a quick note, P.J. Hall, who the Raiders let go of, and he's now with the Houston Texans, P.J. Hall has 17 tackles, 9 solo, 2 for loss, and a sack. Compare that to what Malik Collins is in, it's pretty embarrassing. Oh, geez, don't go around telling people that, Mo. Uh, P.J. Hall? That's the truth. P.J. Hall out here, the same guy who the Raiders cut because he wasn't in shape. 17 tackles, 9 solo, 2 for loss, and a sack. That that's probably if he was on the Raiders with those numbers, he'd be one of the Raiders' best defensive linemen. Now I know he got cut because he wasn't in shape, so it's a different story. It wasn't about production; it's about him not coming to camp prepared. But from Lee Collins to come in and have three tackles, and he's supposed to be the key to your your defense, and PJ Hall to leave and have seventeen tackles and a sack and a two for loss. That's that's eye opening. Wow, I wasn't aware of that. I'm glad you brought that up. I had no clue. I had you know a lot of times when these guys leave the team, I. I kind of stop following them. So I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. I'm sure a lot of the listeners didn't realize that either. You know, for me, Mo, my biggest disappointment so far has been Trent Brown. The offensive line was supposed to be one of the best in the league this year. And, and Trent Brown, as we know, is a big part of that. Mayak signed him to that big deal in 2019, record-setting deal. He has struggled to stay healthy. Last season, he made only 11 starts. And, and now here we are. This year, he's played only three snaps. Now, uh, let me make this very clear to you guys out there listening. I understand the injury is not something that he can control. I, I totally get that. So I'm not, you know putting any blame on him. I'm not questioning his, his, his heart or any of those things, his desire. Um, and, and, and plus we heard Gruden talk about how hard he is working in the rehab process. So it does sound like he's doing everything he can do to get back, but uh, it's still a disappointment that he's not out there. You know, you can see how his absence combined with uh, Richie incognito being out is affecting the offense, especially in the run game. I think Jacobs has, has suffered a bit without those two guys out there. Uh, in the last two games, especially Carr, he's also been under some duress because of the the injuries to the line. So it does sound like he's getting very, very close. I do wonder though, um, with the bye week coming up after the Kansas City game, if they might opt to keep him out just one more week and give him uh, the bye week, you know, just to get a little bit more time to get himself right. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm not going to question his heart or desire to play either. I know a lot of fans are doing that. I don't know his situation. I don't know how his calf feels, but I I would agree. Even though he has been injured, that's, that's a pretty big disappointment considering the contract that he has and number of snaps he's played this season. Uh, as Vincent Bonsignor said, and I think Vic Tafer said it too, there is some frustration with him. Um, we'll see if he plays after after the Chiefs game. I, I know Green said he's not sure about Trent Brown, so I would assume that after the bye, he should be good to go. And if he's not, there's something to worry about there. Yeah, let's let's flip gears now. Let's talk about is there an aspect of the team that you've been very pleased with, Mo, or or even pleasantly surprised with through the first four games? 
Now, I know he's only played two games, but Nick Krakowski, to me, is the guy that I'm, I'm pleased with. I would call a pleasant surprise only because a lot, of, a lot of people told me, well, he was a backup in Chicago, and he's he's only going to be an average player with, with the Raiders, and I think he's been a big part of their run defense. Uh, came, I know that Josh Allen had a lot of success through the air yesterday, so the uh, Bills didn't have to rely on the run. Well, only 62 rushing yards, and they, and they had 2.6 yards per carry with Nick Wachowski back yesterday. So I think he's a big part of that. 12.1% of his run snaps result in the stop as most on the Raiders defense. A lot of people thought Corey Littleton would be the better linebacker, the more impactful linebacker. Turns out even though Kwiatkowski has only played two games, he's been the more impactful linebacker. So I would say that's a pleasant surprise right there. Absolutely. I totally agree with you with, with that pick. Now, one of the areas that I've been very pleased with is the depth at wide receiver, in particular Nelson Aguilar. Even without Tyrell Williams, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, the offense has been able to move the ball through the air. And I think that's a testament to the depth that this group has. We talked about that a lot uh, you know, in the episodes that we did leading up to the start of the season. Um, Aguilar, you know, his stats aren't going to jump off the page at you, but he does lead the team in receiving touchdowns. And I know he did pick up that garbage time touchdown yesterday, but it still counts. And he may only have eight receptions for 118 yards, but he's averaging 14.8 yards per reception. And that's with, um, that 49 yard touchdown being called back yesterday. So it could be much higher than that. And I think he has earned some more time going forward. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but even when Ruggs comes back and, and, and Edwards comes back, I'd personally, I'd like to see him out there a lot more. And it seems like the trust factor between him and Carr is there. Absolutely. I feel like he had one of the best games of all the Raiders yesterday. I know, I know he only had four catches for 44 yards and a touchdown, but if you look at replacing Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs, it seems like Henry Ruggs is closer to coming back than Brian Edwards, who has an ankle injury. Henry Ruggs posted an hourglass in his tweet, which means probably means that he's on the way back. So when Henry Ruggs comes back, I would like to see a Ruggs-Aguilar-Renfro trio. It, that is if Brian Edwards is out. I think Aguilar could fit in. I think he's a solid wide receiver, too, if you play him enough. And he'll, he'll rack up the numbers. It's not going to show through four games because he's had limited snaps in, in the first three weeks. But I think he's a solid fill-in if, again, if Edwards can't play. And I think he'll produce some decent numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's um, look ahead now. I want to talk about the second quarter of the season, the next four games on the schedule. Obviously, we know the Chiefs are, are up next, and then that's going to be a tough task. Uh, we know that it's being played in early October, so weather will not be a factor. Kansas City um, is also one of the teams that allows fans into their stadium, so uh, you know they won't be a lot of fans there. I'm actually watching the game right now. They don't have a lot of fans in there, so the crowd noise won't be a factor like it normally would be. Uh, so the Raiders have that going for them, but other than that, I'm not <laughs> I'm not giving them much of a chance uh, this week against the Chiefs. I see the early line is at 12 points right now. That game could get ugly. Now, following the Chiefs um, game is the bye week, a much needed bye week too, because they've got so many guys that are injured right now. They got to get healthy. Off the bye week, they face Tom Brady and the Bucks. They come out to Allegiant Stadium. Brady's fresh off that five TD performance versus the Chargers. Say what you want about the Bucks right now; they're three and one. I see a lot of people out there on social media uh, still continuing to question Brady. I mean, five touchdowns yesterday, and and they're not even firing on all cylinders right now. That was without Chris Godwin as well. Um, offensively, uh, they also didn't have Fournette yesterday. He's gonna, you know, as the season goes along, he's gonna be more involved. He missed last week's game, and that defense is good, and it's going to get better. So I have my concerns about that one as well. Now, in Week 8, 
They go back on the road, travel east to Cleveland. That's a game I'm actually thinking about going to. It's only a three-hour drive for me. And the Browns, they're 3-1 and one right now as well. They're scoring a lot of points. Yes, I know they beat Washington. They beat Cincinnati and, and Dallas, who is struggling right now. But they're loaded on talent with, with talent on offense. Nick Chubb, I saw he suffered a MCL sprain, and he's going to miss significant time. But they still got Kareem Hunt. I mean, that, they're just loaded right now. And and on defense, they're led by Miles Garrett, who's an absolute monster. He leads the, the NFL uh, in sacks. So that's going to be a tough game as well. And then the final game uh, in the second quarter is a division game against the Chargers in Week 9, who I think really... They've surprised a lot of people by how by how well they've played, especially with that rookie quarterback, Justin Herbert, who's off to a very nice start to his career. I know Austin Eckler, he's going to be out four to six weeks, so he's probably going to miss that game with the Raiders with an injury. But they've been competitive in all their losses. They lost by the Chiefs to only three points. They lost a close one to the Panthers by five and to the Bucks by seven. So very competitive, close games. You, you know, you can toss records and whatnot out the window when it comes to these division matchups. So that's a quick look at the next four games on the schedule. Mo, I know that we've talked about this, um, the possibility that the Raiders may not win a game in the month of October, uh, may have to wait till November to, to, to get another win. That's a possibility. And I know people don't want to hear that, uh, but they could be heading into Cleveland for example, with a two and four record. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned it in the last last week's podcast, hashtag no wins till November. Um, and that was not just trying to be a negative, you know, Nancy or anything, but I just just look at the schedule and it just if the, if they didn't beat the Bills, who I thought they would be competitive against and they were, and they didn't beat the Bills, I, a lot of people aren't giving them a chance against the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I don't give them much of a chance either, but I will say it would be the most Raider thing ever if they upset the Chiefs in Kansas City, wouldn't it? Like they 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 drop this game, everyone thinks the sky is falling, and they come back and beat the Chiefs. That would be that would be nuts. But I, I don't see it happening. But we'll see. Uh that's why they play the games, right? So I, I have them losing against the Chiefs, of course. Then they got a bye week. We're gonna talk to Vic later about the schedule, but I think of all the games of the winnable games in the next three, I think Tampa Bay is the one. They have an extra week to prepare. I know that doesn't mean anything if another team is more talented. I will say this. You mentioned Leonard Fournette. Let's be honest. You mentioned him because he's on your fantasy team. We won't talk about that. <laughs> but um, I think Tom Brady, I, I, a lot of people, like you said, are saying Tom Brady is washed up. He's 43 and washed up. I watched that game came on in my area in New York City. I watched all four quarters of the Bucks and Chargers. And Tom Brady does not look washed up. He didn't, as you mentioned, he didn't have Chris Godwin. Mike Evans left the game briefly with a leg injury. He did come back. But Brady isn't even working with all his tools when he threw five touchdowns against a pretty decent defense. So I wouldn't write Tampa Bay off as a, as a win just because you got to buy. That's going to be a battle on their ground. Uh, Cleveland looks good against against some bad teams. I know they played a bad defense in the Cowboys, but as you mentioned, they stuff Kareem Hunt even without Chubb. I still think that's a winnable game because I don't believe in Baker Mayfield. I'm a believer in a better quarterback usually wins the game, and I and I put Derek Carr above Baker Mayfield at this point. If it comes down to one quarterback has to lead you on a game-winning drive, I'm taking Carr over Baker Mayfield. Uh, week nine against the Chargers, you mentioned it. Austin Eckler's out. That's a big hit for their offense. Justin Herbert is impressive, but he is a rookie. I think that's a that's a game that the Raiders defense can get right if they if they're struggling at that point. They should beat the Chargers on their grounds, even if they go into that game and they're two and four, two and five, I should, two and five, I should say. If they win that game and go three and five, again, I, I'll say this again until the Cows come home. I think the Raiders are going to have a strong second half finish to the season. So it's not going to look pretty at the beginning, 
but I think they'll finish strong at the end. We'll see how it works out. But again, that game against Tampa Bay is huge. If they lose that game, then I, I think they have to beat Cleveland in the charges to, to prevent the sky from really falling on this season. Yeah, you 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 nailed it. The the schedule does get a lot easier. I think when you look at anybody who's looked at the schedule objectively would say that the first half of the season looks much tougher, you know, when it first came out anyways. It looked much tougher than the second half. So if the Raiders can somehow weather the storm here the over these next four games, next three games, um, you know, they're going to set themselves up nicely to make a run pending the health of the team improves. But I think overall, Mo we're pretty satisfied where the team stands right now at two and two, correct? Yeah, and again, if if the Raiders had lost two and then won two, what would people say about this team? But it, it would be a different type of narrative because they say, okay, they're they're starting to learn. But they won two and then they lost two, so of course, when you get in a losing streak, everyone's wondering what's going on. And I think it's just, I had the Raiders full disclosure. I had the Raiders going eight and eight with a possibility of winning nine games. That tells you that this is a team that's a a middling team, a mediocre team can beat the bottom feeding teams, but may have trouble against good teams that are healthy. And that's pretty much what we're seeing right now. I know they beat the saints. The saints didn't have Michael Thomas. Everyone deals with injuries. I get that. But when you're going against the chiefs and you're going against Tampa Bay and, and Cleveland's pretty good now, I know that the competition, wasn't so great, but people were saying the same thing about the Raiders last year. People were saying, well, the Raiders got this record six and four, but who did they beat? You know? So you got to take each game seriously. You got to take each opponent seriously, especially when they have momentum on their side, especially when you're going into their stadium. Don't overlook any team on the schedule, unless it's the New York Jets, of course. But any other team, you have to take very seriously because um, any given Sunday. Absolutely, Mo. All right, let's let's go ahead here and bring in our guest. All right, we will now go out to the phone line and welcome in our guest for tonight, and that is Vic Tafer of The Athletic. Vic, thanks for giving us some of your time tonight, and welcome to Just Pod Baby. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Thanks for asking. Doing pretty good. Vic, I, I think when you look at the big picture of the first four games for the Raiders, obviously the Raiders sit at 2-2, two and two, and I think most people, or at least most people, should be satisfied with that. Uh, but when you look at it a little closer, there's been an obvious problem with this defense. They went out and spent a lot of money in free agency. They were expecting to see some the development of, of Cleveland Farrell and Arden Key and some of those other young players. For the most part, there has not been a noticeable upgrade, though, with the defense. I know you've been... Um, you interact a lot with a fan base on Twitter and whatnot. If it was up to them, Gunther would have been fired last year. But I think it's becoming more of a legit conversation. So my question for you is, do you think the seat is getting warm for Gunther if the defense continues to give up 30 points week after week? Is there any way that he survives this season? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I think John Gruden's having some patience right now. He knew like this team had, you know, a lot of new parts on defense. I think you looked at the schedule. It's pretty tough. I think most fans, look at the first five weeks, you know, they got the Chiefs next week. I think two and three would have been you know, probably pretty good. A lot of fans would be happy with two and three at the beginning of the year. But because they won the first two and lost the last two, all of a sudden two and two is horrible. Two and two is like, I can't believe we're two and two. We should be four and oh. So I think fans have lost a little perspective. I think, um, but yeah, I, I agree though. Like all the, the new parts are not looking that great. So you have to be concerned about why that is. So I think, Logical fall guy would be would be would be Paul Gunther. So sticking on that Paul Gunther theme, um, you wrote in your piece last night that you think Paul Gunther may need to 
Raiders need to either admit they made some mistakes on the defensive side or Paul Gunther needs to simplify his coverages. And I had a quote from Corey Littleton. He said he can only do his coach to him and put the best performance on that he can. And so far, it hasn't been great. So my question to you is, do you think there's some frustration in the locker room with Gunther's scheme? Are players feeling comfortable in the system? And is this leading to some of the mistakes we've seen on the field? Yeah, I think the frustration is probably more overall, not so much over Gunther's play calling. I think, like, you watched the game yesterday, and, and John mentioned this today, like, the first two touchdown plays, uh, they were in man, man-to-man coverage, and two guys weren't playing man, and the, the Wolfie got, you know, got burned, like, underneath Robinson on the first one. So I think that's a case where is that really coaching? Like, just a player making a mistake you should know better to make. So I think it's tough at this point. I do know, like, you look at times in the field, you watch some guys kind of shrugging their hands like they're not sure where they should be. And, again, that part of that also is Kriakowski was out the first, you know, last three games. He's kind of the guy with the green dot. So, another excuse for a guy who's not exactly being in the right space at all times. But it's tough. Littleton was supposed to be an impact playmaker, and he hasn't been. So, what's the reason? He is not really sure. And I think Paul Gutter's not really sure. So, both those guys are trying to figure it out as, as we go along. Okay, and as far as the safety position, I know Eric Harris has had a rough four weeks. Uh, do you think the Rays would entertain maybe bringing in another, another safety? Isaiah, is Isaiah Johnson in the mix? I know he came in for a couple of plays for John Abram, who was hurt, for, briefly came out. I know Isaiah Johnson is supposed to be a cornerback, but they tried him out at safety. Is that something that you'll see more of? And do you think there's going to be any changes with Eric Harris as a starting safety? I think Eric Harris is another guy who we look at I and mean, maybe just pieces need time to fit together because I look at the options behind him, they're not great. I think Don Levin's been a guy around for a while. He's not really got a chance. I think there must be a reason for that. Isaiah Johnson, I guess, interesting, but to me, him playing a little bit of safety means probably more that he's not really after a cornerback and we're trying to find a spot for him. So I'm not sure you can come in for Eric Harris. So as far as guys out the street, there's not much out there. I mean, Earl Thomas is a guy fans are crazy for, but. Earl Thomas pretty much set himself on fire the last two months on and off the field, and the Ravens paid a lot of money to get rid of him. And then, you know, Texans brought him in, and they're like, oh, no, thank you. So, I mean, that's, still, that's alarming for a guy that talent level to still be on the street. That tells me there's a lot there as far as baggage. So, I'm not sure after last year's A-B experience, the Raiders really want to get a guy with a lot of baggage right now, even though he's a great player and probably would make some plays for you. But it seems to be a pretty, uh, pretty hefty price tag on that guy. Raiders beat writer Vic Tafer joins us on Just Pod Baby. Now, Vic, uh, we saw John Gruden decide to kick field goals now three times in the last two games on, on fourth and short situations. What do you make of his decisions to, to play a little bit more conservative, and, and do you think he needs to show more confidence in the offense and go for some of those short and uh, f- fourth down situations? Yeah, I was debating that in the press box some of the guys yesterday. I didn't have a problem with it. The first one was the third quarter. I think they got a field goal the, the cut to one. Uh, to me, it's the fourth game of the season. They're fourth and two. And plus, there's no guarantee they make fourth and two. They got stuffed twice yesterday in short yards play. So I'm not sure fans are like, oh, go for it. You'll make it and get all these points. I mean, fourth and two is no guarantee for the squad. So I think you got to take the points there. I think you want to give the defense a little bit of a, a, a shred of confidence. You don't want to say in the third quarter, I have no faith in you, clowns. I'm thinking it's difficult because you guys think. I'm not sure that's the message you want to give young players in game four of the NFL season. So I, I had no problems with the field goals yesterday. So you talk about the frustration in the fans going two and two, uh, winning two, then losing two. And I heard a little bit of the frustration with Derek Carr in his post game. And he was like, basically saying he's a little pissed about the loss. And, you know, he has to make sure he doesn't take it out on his family when he gets home. 
Do you think he's hearing the whispers, despite him breaking Kenny Stables' record, do you think he's hearing the whispers of his 41-57 and 57 record? And what is what is it about, about last game that made him a little more angrier than any of the other losses that he spoke about at the postgame presser like that? I don't think Derek's aware of what's being said. I think Derek's aware of the pressures. I mean, obviously, we have the Tom Brady flirtation in the offseason. They brought him Mariota for, you know, for a reason. Obviously, they push him at some point. He knows the fans are kind of now on the side. He's blew off the field in Oakland his last game. So, I think he knows he gets blamed for these losses more than other players do. I thought Derek was not bad yesterday. I'm not sure he's the really reason why they lost that game. I know we had the fumble and some decisions that fans didn't like. But uh, if you give me a list of guys who cost him that game, he's not in my top five. So, I think he's in a tough spot. He definitely got a little, he's still frustrated. I can, I can see that. And I think um, you know, it's, it's hard because he doesn't have what he feels the pieces he needs to really succeed. He needs like, you know, more time in the pocket. And the O-line wasn't great yesterday and injuries to receivers. But these are all excuses. But still, they're also valid reasons why you can't uh, probably do your job as good as you think you can at, at some point. Yeah, I agree with you there, Vic. I don't think Carr is uh, to blame for the for the loss yesterday. And I want to stay on the topic of Derek Carr. He's such a polarizing person in this organization. The fan base, he either loves him or hates him. There's very few who fall in the middle. All things considered, though, uh, looking at the total body of work over the last seven years that he's been with the team, do you think the criticism is justified? I just kind of want to get some of your thoughts on Derek Carr. No, I think Derek's, I mean, obviously he's made a lot of mistakes. He's probably, you know, had some rough years after making the playoffs for one year. But to me, it goes back to the rookie season. They were 0-8. And, and I remember him saying, like, you know, my, my mood, my mannerisms are going to be the same way from 8-0 or 0-8. I'm going to be positive. I'm not going to get down. I'm not going to get angry. A lot of fans took it the wrong way. I think at that point, a lot of fans thought he wasn't tough enough or didn't want to win badly enough. But that's just the way Derek is wired. It's just a different kind of, I mean, he's very competitive. He wants to win. But, not a guy's going to have like you know tantrums or cuss guys out, or that's just not the way he is. So I think a lot of fans don't like that. I think that's what we're the fan base. Things a very emotional fan base, and they want someone, you know, they want a guy who's younger people and kind of more fiery, and they can say, "Oh, that guy's always trying to win." So to me, he's a top. What is he? A fourteen, and that's my which is off the top of my head, but that's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of guys, you know, a lot of teams would want to have a Derek Carr. I know he's not elite, but um, it's hard to get those guys. So I think, um, to me, there's a lot of problems with this team besides Derek Carr. Uh, Vic, I just got one more for you. Um, kind of looking ahead here to the schedule, uh, you, they got the Chiefs coming up this week, then they're on the bye, they come back off the bye, you've got the Bucks, the Browns, and the Chargers the next four games. Mo and I have discussed the, the possibility that this team might not win a game until November what do you think about the next four, though? Is there one game here in the next four that they that they can win? Wow, that's what you, that's what you see that schedule saying. I mean, to me, I think obviously this week is. I mean, I don't want to say impossible, but it will take a miracle to win at KC. So I'm, that's forget that one. But I mean, they definitely beat the Buccaneers at home, and the, the Browns obviously. I mean, I look at yesterday the Cowboys didn't play a defense; they scored forty nine points. But I don't think the Browns are definitely beatable. I think even the Chargers have some problems. So. To me, it always was you get past these first five games and you get to the bye week, and you can regroup, have some guys with some seasoning, and you can have the last part of the schedule a lot nicer than the first five games. So uh, if they lose this weekend, uh, that game against Tampa Bay is going to be a big one. I think that's a game that if you lose that one, all of a sudden you've lost four in a row, and then things kind of, you know, they can turn a snowball. So if you win that one, you're, you're three and three, and you're extremely healthy after the bye week, so you should be in good shape. 
But really quick, Vic, I wasn't, I wasn't, well, I guess I was the one that was kind of saying they'll go 0-3 in October. I, I wouldn't go that grim where they would lose to the Browns and the Chargers. I think both those games are winnable. But I agree with you in saying that at, with an extra week to prepare out of the bye, the Buccaneers is a game that they could win, assuming that everyone thinks they're going to lose to the Chiefs next week. But I think, oh, I, I felt like October was going to be a rough month. But if they can get through that, I think they'll be fine in the second half of the season. But I also will say I want to thank you for fielding the questions from Twitter because sometimes I know I throw out takes out there and you have to answer them or sometimes other people, smaller blogs, throw out things and you have to kind of answer for those. So I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and and being a man of the people and just answering the Twitter Twitter folks who think the sky is falling after every loss. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. I've been loving these, these fans are a bunch of, they're crazy, but I love them. So uh, <laughs> I've been around for 10 years, so I could hear what they're thinking and saying. And uh, sometimes it gets hot either way, but uh, it's a fun bunch. I understand. I mean, the whole thing with Derek Carr to me is fascinating. He's just, uh, mm-hmm. like you said, he's a very polarizing guy. And they live and die with him. That's why I thought it was so funny when he outplayed Drew Brees. There wasn't a peep for a week. But everybody was waiting. Everyone's like, okay, when I, okay this week you can't see anything. But next week, <laughs> We're coming strong if they lose, and sure enough, he lost. And I was like, "Ah, oh, he stinks!" <laughs> so I thought it was hilarious. They, they all took a week off. I'm not saying Derek Carr is the greatest thing, but I think he's fine. You know, and, and if you're fine at quarterback, then that's okay. I think there's a lot of other problems you can address in this team besides quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Vic Tafer, everybody, Raiders beat writer for the Athletic. Uh, Vic, thanks for hopping on with us and giving us some of your time. We appreciate you and, and keep up the good work. All right, guys, take care. And that was Vic Tafer from The Athletic, Raiders beat writer. I want to thank Vic for coming on with Mo and I and giving us some of his time tonight. And I thought it was a very insightful interview, especially the information he had for us on the question about Paul Gunther and whether or not he survives this season. And I also thought he had some good good uh, bits of information there about Derek Carr. And, and hopefully uh, you all enjoyed that interview. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Monday Night Recap episode. The Raiders are 2-2 right now, heading into Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday. Hope everyone enjoyed the show. Be sure to tune in in a couple days for the Week 5 preview episode. For my co-host, Mo Moten, I am Evan Grote. Hope everyone has a great week, and as always, just win, baby.